Hey, listeners of the Bio Report, I want to tell you about a new member benefit from the California Technology Council. CTC has teamed with Reprovada to offer members six months of Reprovada's COT Network service for free, which gives companies the power of a VPN at a fraction of the cost. A remote, flexible workforce is the new normal, but most corporate networks aren't built to accommodate work from home at scale. Reprovada's COT Network offers an easily deployable, affordable, and scalable solution to securely enable remote workers and protect the corporate network. To learn more about this and other member benefits, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. therapies are an area of great promise for improving outcomes for cancer patients, but the process of preparing cells taken from a patient and genetically modifying them is time-consuming and costly. Exuma Biotech believes it can address the cost and time involved in the preparation of these products with its rapid point-of-care delivery technology. We spoke to Greg Frost, chairman and CEO of Exuma Biotech, about CAR-T therapies, how its technology works, and how it's working to cut the cost and speed the delivery of these immunotherapies to patients. Greg, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Danny. My pleasure. We're going to talk about CAR-T therapies, Exuma Biotech, and your efforts to develop rapid point-of-care delivery of these immunotherapies. Let's start with CAR-T therapies themselves. How do these therapies work today? Well, you know, if we were to look at this technology today and put it in the context of what we knew in science and medicine even 15 years ago, the the thought that we could truly have living medicine with genetically modified lymphocytes in the body would have been unheard of. It um, And really, I think the basic process of taking one's cells from the body and reprogramming genetically uh, lymphocytes and returning them back into a patient to retrain those cells to see cancer antigens, much in the same way we've done with monoclonal antibodies in the past, but wiring all that into a cell is what has made CARTIA a living medicine, which has been both exciting and has, of course, had um, equally, the, the number of challenges in, in many different areas. Well, how are these therapies typically prepared and administered? Well, it's a complicated process that has uh, a tremendous amount of technical skill required as well as logistics. So typically, uh, when a subject is entering into a trial or on therapy for approved medicines, their blood is drawn and separated into white blood cells and then shipped, usually on a plane, to a central manufacturing facility where those cells then are taken into a clean room 
They are activated. They're genetically modified. They're grown for about, you know, 15 days. And then they are prepared just like you would with a drug and then shipped back to the site. So there's a tremendous amount of time that can be lost for patients during this period. And then once those cells are received back, the patient receives a lymphodepleting chemotherapy regimen to kind of make space. Um, and then the cells are infused. And at that point, they take off and they're on their own. These cell therapies have been more successful in hematological cancers than in solid tumors. Why, why is that? Well, I think it's a, if you look at the history of the field, Danny, what you will find is that um, one of the principal challenges in building cellular therapies has been that they can be incredibly potent. So in the case of something we know very well, like CD19, this is in a liquid tumor setting. Those cells with CD19 will eliminate all targets in the body that express CD19. And this is found in many lymphomas uh, and leukemias. But the problem is, in the case of CD19, you're eliminating all of the normal cells that make CD19, which are called B cells. And this is tolerable in the case of liquid tumors. But when you think about the antigens, the targets that we go after in solid tumors, those are often expressed in tissues that would not be safe if the immune system were to attack it. So we've been forced to really take steps back on how well we can make a car for solid tumors to try and make them smarter to help recognize friend from foe. So the great efficacy I think that you've seen in relapsed refractory ALL, uh, as well as in diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, and now also I think excitingly in places like multiple myeloma, getting that same level of efficacy in solid tumors has required that people really think about the precision side of the problem to make sure you can get a potent car, but also one that is safe. The other obstacle I think that these therapies face is just a matter of their cost. Why are CAR T cell therapies so expensive? Well, this is something that we've been very focused on and is something that I've personally been focused on, you know, most of my life. Uh, in the biotech industry is trying to make things more efficient. So the challenge with cellular therapies today is that the cost and complexity of preparing a CAR-T product, it really is a therapy that isn't produced on an assembly line. It's not filled in thousands of vials. It's made one patient at a time. And so when you take those costs and the time that's involved, you have a facility that may only be able to make a dozen patients in that processing room in a particular period of time. So that's been an area for us where we looked from the very beginning and said, there must be an easier way to get this done that's more efficient. Well, we've talked a lot about the, the challenges and limitations of these therapies. As you considered those, what were the opportunities that you saw? Well. You know, in oncology, helping shepherd the science between the leading edge and kind of the bleeding edge to help improve the lives of patients that have exhausted all options has been a lifelong passion of mine. 
But if we were to take a look at the opportunities in CAR-T, which is of a living medicine of really getting a potent therapy into a patient that can be lasting, we saw one of the principal challenges of this setting, both for liquid tumors and solid tumors, was to ask the first question of, can we get this from being a 40-day process to get a product from vein back to vein and get this to something that can use the existing oncology and fusion clinic infrastructure and so it can be more rapidly and broadly deployed. And so our science, while we've spent a great deal of time on the precision side, we've put an equal amount of effort into developing a platform that literally is taking that entire process from 40 days and saying, can we do it in four hours so that it never leaves the facility? And it's actually something safe enough where it can be administered in a point of care setting. Well, what's the process Exuma goes through to develop a, a CAR-T therapy and how might that differ from what's done by existing CAR-T therapies today? Well, we took two areas of research focus and have applied about four years of really hard science on this. And those two areas have been number one, to figure out how to improve gene vectors to enable the gene vectors we make to efficiently modify white blood cells, the lymphocytes, in a short period of time. We like to call that in a, in a global sense, it's the hardware side of the problem. The second is that if you want to perform a CAR-T process in such a short period of time, there actually is no opportunity to perform lymphodepletion or chemotherapy to get rid of other cells. And this is where we focused our efforts on what we call the software problem. And that was actually providing the stimulatory signals in the CAR designs to help those cells amplify in the body without the need for lymphodepleting chemotherapy. So in the end, the objective is to make a very simple product, which is simply the gene vector itself, which is used to modify white blood cells and return them back into the patient in a simple shot. But the science to do that really required focusing on the delivery component and on the additional information that has to go into these gene designs to allow them to expand. And so we made some very nice progress on both areas where we feel that this is a platform which if successful could dramatically reduce the complexity, cost, and increase accessibility of these products around the world and work in many different formats. If you wanted to address the cost and time issues of CAR-T therapies, moving to an off-the-shelf approach from an autologous approach would seem to be the logical solution. What's the benefit of doing this as an autologous therapy the way you're going? That's a great question. And what we've seen is that some of the challenges of what we call um, off-the-shelf products, where the cells themselves are made centrally and then distributed versus where the gene vector is made centrally and then distributed, is that if I take cells from one patient and I put them into another patient, or I take them from a healthy donor and put them in another patient, there's a, a, a number of mismatches 
when those cells enter the body that we need to be thoughtful of. In some cases, we can keep patients immunosuppressed long enough to allow the CAR T cells to do what we need to do. And I think most of the excitement there will be in settings of liquid tumors where maybe we can get to a CR in 28 days. And if the ability to keep those cells on the track for a short period of time can work. But when we look at our experiences in solid tumors, the challenge has been that these cells often need to stay in circulation for many months, beating against the tumor before you can drive to a CR. And the challenge of keeping a patient immunosuppressed for that period of time becomes very difficult to do, if not impossible. So we think that while the off-the-shelf approaches could have some applicability in some of these areas where you need a very rapid product and patients might be so um, immunologically damaged in their marrow that they can't make healthy cells, we think in most of the cases, like solid tumors and other areas, it's just going to be really tough to get those broadly deployed without some massive improvements in technology about immunosuppression. What's been done to validate the technology? Well, if you take a look at the core pieces that we've used, we started trying to understand settings, one, about the modification process. And you start with these in basic animal models where you take healthy blood, you put a gene vector in contact with it and say, how short can I make the time frame to get those cells to expand in the animal and get rid of a cancer? Second to that, you then go in and pressure test these systems where you develop models where all of the immune system is, is present and you challenge those cells to have to expand without the use of lymphodepletion or modification of the immune system to get them in. And finally, what you look at, of course, is are they able to persist? So once you've done those two in a tremendous amount of safety testing to ensure that First and foremost, you make a reproducible product when you put that on and you know that from subject A to B to C, you can have a predictable dose going into a subject and from a safety side that you've taken into consideration all of the chemistry, manufacturing, and controls. Then you go through and work to the point of taking your relapsed refractory patient populations that have failed everything else and ask the question of if you can actually go in and reproduce that clinically. Are there specific indications you're pursuing and when might you be in the clinic? So we have a number of programs from inception in 2016 that we have worked on with, starting with traditional manufacturing, a central process that we've worked on in solid tumors. But we came to the conclusion that for this new platform, that we should not go through and really compound risk of two technologies trying to solve the solid tumor problem and the delivery technology. So the first indications that we will be testing this platform will be in a traditional uh, relapsed refractory um, lymphoma setting. And so with that, we think that it will be a good setting to benchmark how well this works relative to the therapies we already know. And I think from that, from a time frame perspective, the teams are quite confident that 
these will be entering into the clinic next year. And does the approach change anything about the regulatory pathway you'll have to travel? Well, I would say that regulatory science and cellular therapies is a continually evolving field, much in the way that it is very new science. So, you know, much of my life that I spent early on in recombinant monoclonal antibodies and biologics, by the time we got to 2010, it was a relatively mature industry. You know, the first monoclonal antibody was nearly 40 years old at the time. But in the case of cellular therapies, the science and regulatory process for this really is something that requires a science-based approach and addressing all of the particular elements, both from safety, from the context of consistency and potency. And so we build a large number of models where we have to look at large numbers of blood samples and say, are we able to get something consistent? So we still work within these frameworks between establishing the benefit risk equation of a product in the right patient population, the consistency, but much of our focus goes on elevating the chemistry, manufacturing, and controls over the gene vector to ensure that we can deliver the potency of a product safely into patients. And what's the business model? Is this uh, a traditional therapeutic development where you hope to bring this to market yourself? Is there a, a service aspect to the business model or do you expect to just partner with existing pharma companies and, and commercialize through them? Well, I'll tell you that, you know, my experience, you know, when I founded Halozyme Therapeutics back in the late 90s, through partnerships of taking a platform technology and enabling a large number of great medicines to be made more efficiently. Um, as a business model there, we found that a technology of that nature was most efficiently deployed through partnering with many different entities. And so when you have something that can help a lot of different products, sometimes the best way to do that is actually through partnering with others. In this particular case, we have products that we are developing ourselves that are very focused in places such as solid tumors, which the company we think could commercialize at least in certain territories its own. But we also think that having that hybrid model with partnerships to ensure that when there's a really good product there, if the platform can help them, that that's actually a leveraging way to actually help move the entire science by actually doing it with multiple different partners. We just did a, an episode with Halazyme talking about their enhanced technology. The, the company has developed a technology that allowed it to take biologics and make it faster and easier to administrate them, not requiring uh, infusions, but being able to do this through subcutaneous injections. I'm wondering how that shaped your thinking about what you're doing with Exuma. Well, I think that entire process um, from the concept initially at that point in time, there were many medicines that were incredibly effective uh, at the time in improvements to standard of care, products like rituximab and Herceptin. And what we found is that by being able to take a complex process and make it easier, 
you could actually provide great value to patients, providers, and to multiple different avenues simply by taking something that was a long process and simplifying it. So as we used to say, you know, going from IV to sub-Q, when the company began, there were many people that looked at us, um, and I won't say as far as being crazy, but perhaps they looked at it on the basis of being um, very unusual of the thought of taking these IV-infused products and making them into a simple sub-Q shot like you would with insulin and other products. In the case of CAR-T, it really is a similar model where we like to say if we can take something from a 40-day process down to four hours, then we can do something very, very impactful for patients around the world. And if we're able to do that, we think that the benefit that can be recognized, um, not just on the basis of ease of use, but patient access and getting these products more broadly used without the complexity. Um, those are areas I've always loved doing. And I think in this particular setting, there's a lot of room for improvement. Greg Frost, Chairman and CEO of Exuma Biotechnology. Greg, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.